Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Mainland Podcast, episode number 57. I am Michael Citro, the managing editor of themainland.com and also the founder of that particular blog site. Hopefully you are perusing our site every day for all things Orlando City, Orlando Pride, and Orlando City B. Joining me this week, we've got a first-timer. Uh, one of our writers, Nick Morales, is with us this week. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Michael. How about yourself? I'm hanging in there. It's been kind of a tough week for uh, Orlando City fans in, in many respects. Um, you know, obviously, last week we were blindsided by the Adrian Heath news. In fact, while, we, while Andrew and I recorded this very podcast, um, and... You know, it was sort of um, a little bit surreal kind of reacting to that. And, and I, I remember even the next day I thought, I don't even remember what I said. It was like kind of a shock. And I was just uh, kind of going in the moment. And I don't really remember what that moment entailed. But um, we've had now close to a week to uh, to kind of digest this information. And I want to get kind of your take on, on what you thought of the firing, the timing of the firing, and um, whether or not you thought it was uh, a fair uh, result for for Adrian Heath and, and the right move for the team and all of that. So what are, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, yeah, like we had a, many a conversation with the with the other writers and, and stuff about the firing. And I think the, the guys sort of said it right. I mean, the, the club is certainly moving in a different direction in terms of the front office and the management. So from that perspective, I think it's in the direction that they want to go. If that's the right direction, that remains to be seen. But as from a tactical perspective, which is something that I enjoy looking at, um, I was never really a huge fan of Adrian Heath. Uh, he was very insistent on a certain four, two, three, one formation, which I didn't think was all that great. Um, I think, you know, in terms of the MLS and, and stuff like that, we, people tend to, to build it around a, a big name or, or a player. And I think rather it, it's about building it around an idea. And I think we, we weren't really doing that under Heath. So in my opinion, it might have been the right move. It, it's all about really the second part is the second part of that decision is finding the, the correct replacement to go ahead and move forward. Right now, there's no one really dominating the MLS in, in any sort of way, in my opinion. So I think if someone really comes together and puts together a a good idea that they can plug the correct players into, I think we can really see a pivotal time for for this relatively young league. And and it, it could be any team for the for the for the taking of that sort of spotlight. And I think Orlando City, they have an, we have an identity. We're a good attacking team. I mean, we're not a bad team, and we're a relatively new team. So with that being said, we just have so many draws. It's not like we even have a great amount of losses. So I think moving forward, it's it's all about who who gets put in charge. And, and yeah, that's that's my stance. <laughs> Interesting thing was I was I was kind of going over this in my mind on the drive home. I have a about a forty minute commute, so you got some time way, to think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm thinking about it on my way home, and I was thinking about Kaká and the fact that by the time Adrian Heath was fired, he had uh, coached sixteen games, of which Kaká had played nine of them, and really kind of eight and a half. Mm -hmm. And um, and he had you know been part of eight goals. In nine, you know, in, in essentially eight and a half games, uh, three that he scored and five that he assisted on, and you think about the fact that how tenuous the coaching profession is. That if Kaká is good for about a goal a game, 
considering all of the draws that Orlando City has had, had he been healthy, you got to think Orlando City is at the top of the Eastern Conference, and there's no way they fire Adrian Heath. Yeah, I mean, football is a game of, of results in, in many aspects. I mean, you know, not to go too off topic, but it, I'm sure everybody that was that's interested in Orlando City was watching the, the Euro Cup final. And I mean, Gignac hit, doesn't hit the post and that goal goes in and, and we're having a different conversation about that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it certainly things are defined by results and it's it, it can be a game <laughs> of inches in many senses. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think. The, the 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 thing with that is that I still think we wouldn't have seen um, as many good results if Kaká had been involved in more games. I think. Really. Yeah, I think um, personally. I, so it, it, as he was, as, as I mentioned, he's he was sitting there uh, factoring in a goal a game when healthy, but you don't think that would have changed and you know results enough. Uh, I just think that. Uh, it, it might have changed. It might. It might have. It might have changed results uh, to to favor Adrian Heath, Heath a little bit more. But it it might be a good thing that to, to some aspect that that Kaká was injured because, like I said, um, I think a lot of MLS teams base their sort of idea around a big name, and Kaká is sort of our big name and has been our big name. But for me, the standout player for us is Kevin Molino, and that's someone that we should really sort of build around going forward if we are going to build around someone. So. Um, while I agree that maybe if Kaká had been more involved, it might have saved saved his job, there were some suggestions anyways that this was a long time coming from the front office in the direction mm-hmm. that they wanted to move in. So sure. I think there's an aspect to, to that, but yeah. So the, yeah, the, I mean, the, the thing, funny thing is all he had to do really was, was affect two games positively in Orlando City's right in the middle of the, of the, probably about third or fourth even in the, in the conference. But also the other thing I was thinking about on the drive home was all of those calls in the early part of the season. The you think back to the uh, offside goal disallowed against RSL. There was the the handball that wasn't against Servando Carrasco. Yeah. There was the the offside goal that was allowed to count against Philadelphia. And you just think, man, if I, if if you're put in that position, if you're the guy that gets fired, and you think. All I needed was the one star they gave me to stay healthy, or just a few referees to do their job, and we're not and we're not looking for work today, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I I certainly think so. I mean, Orlando City fans definitely know the the referees a little bit too well. I mean, yeah. it, it, so many games have been decided on these pivotal decisions that really didn't favor us, but. Like I said before, if that's going to be the issue, and that's consistently the issue, and conceding goals is consistently the issue, then I didn't see why you can't transition or at least try to a system change that's a little bit more defensively sound. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, the you know some of the stuff's not in Adrian Heath's control. Who you you know who he has on the roster, not in his control. He's not the one that gets to to buy the groceries. He's not the one that went out and got one seven million dollar DP and two guys that can't make the lineup. You know, he might have went and got three two million dollar DPS that were you know that could play every day and all make a difference on the field in all all uh, levels of the of the formation. Or, you know, you know, you get a few calls and that's that's something not that's not in his control. The injuries to Kaká not in his control. So, uh, you know, it's it, it is what it is. The coaching industry and and, and sports in general is a very uh, transient uh, profession by nature and. Um, We'll just wish Inchi the best of luck and in whatever comes next. I'm sure he'll probably surface somewhere 
eventually an MLS again probably and, and come back and kick our ass. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, uh, Nick, why don't we talk a little bit about Friday night? Obviously, a very emotional night. Um, it, it was a very quick turnaround from the firing to the first game without Adrian Heath in franchise history. Uh, and uh, the lads came out against a, a much improved Houston Dynamo team. I've heard a lot of people complain about not getting a better result against Houston. But Houston, I think, since changing coaches, has only shipped four goals in six games. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good defensive team, very tough to break down. Right. Um, some good center backs. David Horst is a, is a really good player. And what they've done in their new system um, is they have made life difficult in, in getting the ball from the midfield line into the box. That's And we saw that on Friday night, didn't we? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the time we tend to go long from the, from the back line uh, with someone like Sepp Hines or... Mateo sending it along to Laren, which I think is one of his is is something to be improved on, but it's certainly something that he's good at is his hold up play, bringing it out of the air. But um, like I said, not too keen on the formation. I think sometimes at our worst, Orlando City can isolate Kyle Laren or Kyle Laren, and I think if he had a partner, if he had a small to to run off a big sort of that one two partnership, he could certainly flourish a little bit more. Um, so that's something that I'd like to see exercise, but it wasn't too bad of a result. I mean, I was expecting a little bit worse, honestly, because you never know with a team that doesn't have necessarily a concrete manager. I mean, we have interim managers, but, um, especially after that quick, after a firing, but I didn't think it was that bad. I always enjoy Luke Bowden at left back. I think he's actually fantastic and his delivery is always spot on. So I thought it was a very interesting, um, we had no, really no idea what to expect from Bobby Murphy going into this game, and it was an interesting thing to see um, Darwin Seren uh, starting a, at a right wing position, and he's not an offensive player like or Christian Higuita in any sense of the word. Neither of those have an offensive bone in their body <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Right. But he was asked to play right wing, and primarily the reason for that it was to keep DeMarcus Beasley at bay, and I thought – Strategy-wise, I thought that actually worked pretty well. Yeah, I would agree. I would certainly agree. And, you know, obviously the, the thing you sacrifice is a dynamic passer uh, with the quick one-twos around the box, which is something we had from, you know, we have that when Molino's on the right wing. We have that uh, when Adrian Venter was here on the right wing, but we did not have that with Darwin. And, and really the play in the final attacking third was where it kind of broke down for Orlando City. Yeah, I would certainly agree. And one of the, I mean, if we're going to go with the 4 2 3 one formation one of the benefits of it is having that you know for sort of forward midfield three provide that width and those wingers sort of be those attacking threats and stretch that back line and stretch that opposition and so I think when you have someone like Darwin Saren that's fine you want to keep Beasley Beasley quiet that that worked out fine but maybe you need better creation from your other players centrally I think Molino does a really good job of shifting in and out when he doesn't find the ball in that number 10 role he he moves around and he moves to the ball, which is really good to see. Um, but yeah, Saren, like you said, doesn't really offer a lot going forward, but defensively is good. Um, that's something that when the the Vinter thing came out, obviously it was a it was a shock for all of us, I think. And he he really, I think it was one of those things that you don't really know what you got until it's gone. And mm-hmm. Kev, and you know, Adrian Winter was phenomenal. I mean, he wasn't 
necessarily the most technically gifted player on the planet, but his his work rate and his ability to go forward was some, is something that we're we're certainly going to miss going forward. Yes, you touched on you, you you hit the exact nail exactly on the head when you said the words work rate because uh, Adrian Venter what he what he doesn't possess in in quality he makes up for in how hard he works and outworking his opponent and, and he's he's a very good two-way winger uh for mls and it's unfortunate that you know his situation was such that he he felt he had to return home uh to switzerland but of course you know never having lived abroad i can't really put myself in his shoes and you know i'm sure there was there's probably 10 million things i'd miss about the u.s if i lived somewhere <laughs> else but uh, but yeah i, I don't Certainly no ill will for him. We hope everything works out for the best for, for Adrian. But uh, that does it does necessitate a move, I think, in this window. Yeah, no, definitely I think so. And that, I think that's another issue. I was thinking about sort of what we were going to say prior to coming on. And, and that's one of the things with Orlando City is that there's a lot of positions where you would say, oh, maybe maybe we need a guy there, maybe we need a guy there. But certainly with the departure of winter, we need someone that that's going to be on the right wing, and and that's an interesting thing to say, in terms of Carlos Rivas. You know, um, he's someone that I think has definite potential, but his his technicality and his touch is something that certainly needs to improve if he's going to be consistent and he's going to be good going forward. Yeah, I mean, we've seen him take over games. Last year against Colorado, he was terrorizing them. Uh, last year at Red Bull Arena against New York. They had no answer for for Carlos Rivas. Yeah. He was just getting that up the get that ball up the left wing and and putting in just superb crosses for Kyle Laren. And one of the things I think Rivas does very well is deliver a ball into the area to a lone striker. He he seems to have a real knack for that. Yeah. And uh, it's unfortunate that for whatever reason he can't seem to get on the field. Bobby Murphy told us the other night after the game that he had a hamstring thing come up. I'm personally not i'm not calling bobby murphy a liar but i i don't buy yeah. it because i don't i because even before then uh adrian vent uh, or adrian heath said you know oh I'm, I'm trying to decide between breck shea and carlos rivas at left wing there was no mention of any injury and and uh he hadn't been able to make the 18 even for a u.s open cup game so um you know the the young dp situation right now is such a mess that, that that's a whole podcast in itself right um, there's two guys. One can't make the 18 on the MLS side. The other can't make the 18 in the USL side. Uh, a guy who was, you know, who scored three three goals in three games last year in MLS can't get in the USL side. So um, there's a lot going on there that is going on behind the scenes. And for whatever reason, it's it's not been a good situation this year. Um, but uh, you know, I did grades this week, and I picked. Uh, it was very difficult for me to pick a man of the match and a nil nil draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't a lot of work for Joe Bendick to do, so usually in a nil-nil draw, you look at the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, but my Orlando City man of the match, I think, was was Christian Aguita for his. He I think he led the team and tied for the game high in tackles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was his normal presence, breaking up midfield play, and, and you know Houston didn't have a lot of dangerous opportunities, mostly because of guys like Christian Aguita. I also thought that that Harrison Heath was uh, played very well. Mm-hmm. I would certainly agree with that, and that's one of the things I think we talked about it earlier. Um, sort of in the with the rest of the writers and stuff like that about sort of that disciplinary record from from Higita and other people just picking up cards and picking up cards and that can certainly be detriment to a team like Orlando City that really depends on Higita to do it to do a really good job of breaking up opposition play no matter who we're playing and so I think 
in a, in some sense, uh, a formational change or a system change could help that because sometimes whoever's partnering partnering Higita, sometimes he just gets left alone and he has to make that tackle or he has to, uh, you know, do that tactical foul and and that we we sort of need to to help him not do that and and pander to the situations where he won't have to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take him off that island and certainly and, and give him some help. I, I think that you're right about that. I, I I absolutely love the guy's play when he's when he's in the mood. He may be the best defensive midfielder in MLS, which is is saying something. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, when he when he's in the mood to play, I mean, there have been times where he's not looked all that interested in playing, but you'll have that in a young player. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, certainly that's something that that comes along with learning to be a professional is learning to game in and game out, and give that effort. And uh, you know, if you put put a guy like Adrian Venter's experience and savvy and heart into a guy like him, it, it would make a heck of a player. Oh, yeah. um, so, you know, looking forward, um, you know, we are in the window. We know that Jose Aha is in town. Um, we've, we've seen the pictures. He's, he's, he's here. He's been training uh, a little bit of a, a trial period here. I expect that we'll hear something by the end of the week in terms of a signing for him. The, uh, the Uruguayan defender, uh, for those of you not familiar, a center back from, from Uruguay who uh, played for Club Racing uh, on loan um, from you know, basically the big club, Nacional, uh, down in Uruguay. He, uh, he is uh, a 23-year-old, uh, good-sized guy. And, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, on them bringing him in? Is he a guy that comes in to compete for a starting job? Does he uh, Is he a guy that that pushes Heinz or Mateos out? Or is he a guy that just provides depth and, and maybe possibly moving forward because he's a, he's a fairly young guy, he can take that position? I think it's a little bit of both. With defenders, those guys tend to mature and they have to they, – they experience the peak of their game at a later stage just because defending is really an art that you have to, to be in a long time to really understand – but I definitely think that he could compete. I haven't seen too much of him, but I certainly think that the the main issue with our backline that I consistently see, uh, that I really look out for, is that there's not a there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of communication. There seems to be a whole lot of indecisiveness when it comes to when the backline is being run at, uh, whether it's in an uneven situation or even a situation that favors. Orlando City in terms of numbers so when you don't have a guy communicating when you don't don't have a guy making a decision whether it be the wrong or right one then sometimes you have those slip-ups and and Mm -hmm. I think the the issue with that is that you know the language barrier can be an issue that's something that plagues teams throughout the world I mean I've seen the same issues in Europe I've seen the same issues you know in, in a in a number of of leagues so I think if the, if the language barrier isn't going to be an issue, then it's certainly something that can help us out. But like I said before, and like a lot of people have said before, Orlando City's backline needs a leader to sort of make decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it needs some consistency. There's been a little bit too much rotation for the first year and a half of the franchise yeah. uh, in MLS. Uh, you know, guys around the league tell me this all the time. They're like, yeah, our defense was a mess too until we picked two guys and stuck with them. And yeah, we had to go through some bumps and bruises, but once those two guys had enough games under their belt together, they built that partnership and they started to be able to know where the other person was going to be without even being able to see them or, or know, you know right. that kind of right. thing. So uh, it's one of those things where, again, the, the injury luck with this team has kept you know those guys rotating in and out and, and not really allowed anybody to, to form that solid number one pairing mm-hmm. uh, so hopefully that will be something that the team can provide 
uh, before the end of this season is to get two guys in there consistently and and let them build that partnership. Certainly. Um, before we uh, get to our guests, we've got a couple more orders of business. We'll talk a little bit about the Prides game on Sunday. Orlando Pride comes out and gets a 2-1 victory over the Boston Breakers. Six starters away on international duty. Goalkeeper Ashlyn Harris, of course. Uh, striker Alex Morgan and the entire back line all gone. Um, and really, Tom Sermani left with with... I don't want to say scraps. He has a, he has a decent team for an expansion year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he played a lot of lesser known players, and then also got uh, brand new goalkeeper Caitlin Savage involved, and uh, she had a, and a very adventurous first touch. She certainly did. Uh, she comes out uh, did a good job to get off her line to get to a through ball, but then fumbled it away and, and gave Boston an easy early goal, which is exactly what Boston needed considering that the breakers came into this game, having scored three goals all season long. And, uh, from then on, it was a lot of, uh, just the pride, not being able to, you know, they were able to possess the ball. They were able to keep the breakers out of their end. For the most part, the problem was in the attacking third, there was no sense of urgency, no quickness. It was all very slow, very deliberate, very flat. And, you know, they just weren't generating a lot of really good chances. Uh, Kristen Edmonds had one really good uh, blast from outside the box in the first half where she hit the post. Uh, and then it just looked like it wasn't going to be the Pride's night. It was it was in the late going. And, you know, uh, Sermani made some second-half subs, brought in uh, some amateurs and some, some first-timers and, and some newcomers. Uh, rookie Christina Birkenrode, r- rookie uh, Danny Weatherholt came on, Leah Fortune came on. And they all played a very big role in, in turning the energy of that team around. And, and in the final minutes, Kristen Edmonds uh, goes out and gets herself a brace and brings the pride back from the brink. Yeah, I certainly agree. I think that that relatively new, untested team did did a decent job. Obviously, Savage didn't have the best of starts. I mean, the, I remember the commentators sort of saying that it was because of the turf, but realistically, she should have had that. So, mm-hmm. um, But yeah, no, I think... They did pretty well to to not concede more than that, being being an unexperienced back back line. But yeah, mm-hmm. the the brilliance from from Edmonds at the end of the game, and and I like that they stayed in it. They always continued to believe. They didn't necessarily like you spoke to had the most um, decisiveness in the final third of the pitch, but they believed. They got fortunate with the decision at the end, and the, and they came back into it to to get the result. So. An incredible free kick from Edmonds uh, to tie it up in the 90th minute. Um, just spectacular. I know there were some complaints about the foul that led to it. Um, it you know, live sitting in the press box, it looked like a f- push from behind. Uh, when you watch the, you know, the, the far away overhead camera view that was available, it, you, it, it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. And certainly the referee was in a fantastic position to make the, the call. So, uh, you know, you hope that it was the right call and, and that everything was, was just and fair. And I don't know about, I don't know, even if it was a foul, I don't know about the yellow card, but um, I don't think it really would have played a, a role in the game anyway, even though it was the second yellow, because it was only, they only had to defend a couple of minutes right. uh, with 10 and, and they, they weren't able, they lost their resolve sort of after the tying goal. Fortune with a nice ball forward in about the 93rd minute. I think officially they called it the 96th, but there was no six minutes stoppage time in that game. Um, and uh, Edmonds gets on the end of it, uh, chips the goalkeeper on the half volley, and got absolutely crushed. That was a brutal hit. A brutal <laughs> hit. She, 
to her to her credit, she she kept her composure and, and had a nice touch on the ball. Don't think she ever saw it go in or even knew anything about it after the collision. But um, uh, the good news is uh, she's been cleared to play. She went to the hospital yesterday, precautionary. They thought she might have a, a broken her orbital bone. Um, and Tom Sermani said she might have a she was a bit woozy. Uh, as you would imagine, uh, but uh, they've cleared her already. So she's, they've gone through the protocol for concussions and determined that she she is uh, able to go. And and that's uh, certainly good news for the Pride as they head on into this weekend's very big game against Chicago. Certainly. I, it was a fantastic chip, to be fair, but she got wrecked. So <laughs> <laughs> She did get wrecked. Uh, so good job for, uh, from, for Tom Sermani to, to overcome that because, it, you know, that's it's one of those situations where you know, this is a team that's it's still a pretty new team, and they're missing a lot of their leadership. And you know, you don't know if you can go out and win until you actually do it. And they they went to their credit; they actually got it done. And and it's not something that's going to drag on. They know they can win without Alex Morgan, without Ashlyn Harris, without Steph Catley, and and Laura Alloway, and Monica, and Jose Belanger. They they know they can win without those players. Yeah, I certainly think um, when when you have that sort of depth, and when you have those players willing to step up. That, that's a great thing. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily depend on that lineup every week, but, you know, when the uh, when the starters come back and when the stars come back, they know that they'll have people on the bench that can get it done. And Boston's one of those play- teams that wasn't really affected much by the international break, not as much as some of the other ones are. So, uh, you know, there's some other teams are going to be in kind of that same boat that, that Orlando is, maybe not quite to that extent. But uh, Chicago, for example, coming up, uh, you know, obviously – uh, Julie Johnston and, and um, Kristen Press are players, and Alyssa Nair are, are players that uh, they depend on, and and uh, they will have to soldier on without their stars as well. Right, definitely. So uh, the last thing we need to talk about before we get to our guest this week, OCB goes on the road against the defending champion Rochester Rhinos. Uh, and just like the senior team, nil-nil draw, they go out there to Rochester, and it's a pretty good result considering um, where they were in the standings and where... Uh, Rochester is and, and the quality of the team that Rochester is uh, to go to Western New York like that and to start a road trip. Uh, they got a Charleston midweek and, um, you know, they started off with a point. Yeah, I think um, the, the the theme of the week for the Orlando City men's team was was defense and someone that really stood out was needy in the first half. But, you know, wasn't... Uh, wasn't a, a one for the books or anything like that, but it was it was a nice showing from the uh, the young lions. Yes, and, and you know you talk about the the pride being depleted, but you know Orlando City B also very much depleted by the call ups to the senior team, the, the the center back pairing that's that's really built a nice chemistry between Devron Garcia and Connor Donovan. They were both missing, and uh, so they they you know as you said, Craig Nitty had a a good first half, Kyle. McFadden had a great second half, and the two of them together helped uh, Mark Ridgers, a very good goalkeeper, uh, keep a clean sheet on the road. So uh, Orlando City has quietly crept into that playoff positioning. They've been kind of hovering around eighth, and they, with the with the completion of the weekend, they, they've uh, pulled into a seventh place tie. And uh, they're a team that, you know, as they get better and better and, and grow together, they could uh, be playing their best soccer at the end of the year. Certainly, and that only that only brings good things for the for the the rest of the organization. Being that you know, I think we should be one of those teams that seeks to to bring people through and and be proud of the players that we produce from a youth academy standpoint. So, 
It'll be interesting this week as uh, the senior team and OCB both play Wednesday night. Uh, and Anthony Pillis is, is leaving the reserve side to go assist Bobby Murphy uh, with the New York Red Bulls match on Wednesday. Rob Valentino is going to take over the helm of OCB at Charleston, and he'll be assisted, oddly enough, by Pride assistant coach <laughs> Kano Smith. So uh, quite a bit of musical coaches going on here. Certainly so. All in the family. <laughs> uh, it's got to affect the teams eventually, the, this this carousel of coaching. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, if they all have sort of the same the same coaching style, then that's fine. But they most certainly don't. So we'll just see how, to, how the guys will react under under that sort of difference in, in coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, speaking of the coaching situation, you know, Orlando City would like to get uh, a new head coach in place by the 31st when they are home next against the New England Revolution. Uh, that would be about a three-week gap between the firing of, of uh, Adrian Heath and, and the next home game. Uh, so, you know, they're, they've got three weeks. They've got a, a short list of about three or four candidates, and uh, we'll see how quickly this comes together. Uh, so far... It's been very, very quiet on the interwebs about uh, you know people interviewing or flying in and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think the worrying thing for me is sort of our uh, management's affection for for someone Brazilian. Um, <laughs> that's that's mainly what I'm worried about. Um, but we've heard a, a Orlando City always seems to be linked with these these crazy things. I've heard like Dunga. I've heard. I've heard a number of big names, and it's just it's just insane. I just, like I said before, I just hope the the new person who comes in has a set idea of what they want to do. Yeah, and uh, you know, hopefully it will be somebody that's that's got a a plan, and not only a plan, but a plan that fits the personnel that are already here, uh, because otherwise you're just spinning your wheels until you get the the turnover that you need to get the players that the coach wants in in place, and that's just wasted time and you know if at that point you could have just let Heath go for the rest of the season and and you know brought the new guy in at the end of the year yeah I think um, that's one of the most interesting things about sort of a mid-season sacking is that you don't really see where where it could have gone I mean things might not have been great under Heath um, but like you said there's other things that were out of his control that attributed to that and maybe he could have made up for that as the season went on and so Orlando City with the with the players we have now I think there's certainly a number of things can be done regardless of what you choose to do, whether it be attacking oriented or defense oriented. So I think we have the pieces. We just need the somebody to put them together. All right. Well, something you brought up, Nick, a few minutes ago was the, the future of Orlando City and the, the young players. And, and certainly that ties right in with this week's guest. I was fortunate enough uh, a couple of days ago to talk to uh, Orlando City Academy Director David Longwell And uh, we'll get to that interview right after this. All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, we are delighted to have the Academy Director for Orlando City, David Longwell, with us this week. Uh, David, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Um, (laughs) uh, Delighted to join you um, and hopefully give you a bit of information about what I'm doing with Orlando. Yeah, we've been uh, wanting to have you on. We wanted to switch gears a little bit and uh, and talk a little bit about you know the the building blocks of the club, of which you know the academy is, is that. The first thing I wanted to know was um, was what the first thing is that one does when taking over the academy at a new club, because I imagine that's 
you know, you had to come over here and get your feet wet right away. Uh, what, what was the first thing that you had to do when you got here? I think the first thing I had to try and do was just try and review and really just find out a lot more about what was in place uh, at the club. I get that obviously there's different ideas that I wanted to bring, but you want to try and review what's actually already in place. Obviously keep the best things that are there and then try and look to improve the things that you feel that uh, needs improvement, obviously. So that was uh, the kind of most important thing away at the start when Phil Rollins brought me in was to look at just reviewing the whole club uh, from the academy point of view and then deciding how we're going to take it forward. Now, it's, it's been said that the, the academy is the lifeblood of a club. What makes the academy so important to the success of a club when, when some people think, well, maybe you could just go out and sign players? What, what is it about the academy that makes it really important? Uh, there's, there's a variety of things. I think, obviously, from a, if you look at it from a supporter's point of view, I think there's always a, a, a more worthwhile feeling from fans when their own players come through if they've been in an academy system. From a, a working point of view, for me, obviously, we want to try and put things in place, have a philosophy. And if you've got your own players that are coming through, then again, it's the same from a, a support point of view. It's very worthwhile when your own players progress to the first team. I think when you, you've got them at your own academy, you can actually really hammer in the, the ideology, the philosophy and the style of play you want to have that Orlando wants to do going forward. So I think there's a, a number of reasons there. When you've got your own player, you've actually managed to educate them and uh, bring them through that kind of structure and philosophy, then I think that's so important to have that in the club. Another aspect of it as well is, and not the, the main reason, you, you will obviously save money from it if you, if you give them an academy route. Because if you're bringing to your own, own young players, what you're hoping to do is eventually they can then progress, possibly even be sold on for, for more money and things like that down the line if they really have mm-hmm. progressed to a much higher level. So there's, there's a number of things. I mean, obviously, I've been working in academy football for nearly 20 years, so it's, I'm a, I've got a lot of passion for what I do, um, and I just like the willingness at Orlando, and I think that the feeling that we have is to try and generally try and bring to our own players, uh, and I think through time, hopefully, the supporters can have a, a, a real link with it, the young players that do progress. Now, uh, David, when you got here and you did your review, how far along or what percentage was Orlando City's academy operating at when you arrived in terms of where it, it, it was when you got here to where compared to where you want it to go? Um, it's a hard question from the guys to put an actual number of percentage on it. I think that, that on a positive note, there's some really good people that have been at the club. And again, what, what people need to remember is it's still very much in its infancy, if you think where it's actually started. Um, and there's obviously guys there like, like Greg Brick and Craig Melton who had kind of really had run the kind of recreational side of the club and then put it forward to the academy. You had obviously guys like Darren Pearl there previously who'd actually built something to, to a decent level. But from our point of view, it was just to try and get in there and try and progress it again. So there, were, there has been a lot of good works on in the club. There's obviously areas that I do think that I looked at that we had to improve. Uh, but to, to put a percentage on is difficult because my belief, belief in youth development and, and bringing players through, you're always evolving. You're always looking to try and improve things. Because if you, you look at the modern day game and how it's changed over the years, you must try and change with it. So when you're actually developing players, you're always trying to be innovative, try and be inventive in how you can actually teach them and educate them to a high level again. So we're bringing through better players from year to year. So um, I see a lot of good work went on. Uh, and from my point of view, it was really just to try and see where can I progress that and where can I try and take it on to a higher level. Now, how do you, David, how do you define or measure uh, when the academy is successful? How, is it like X number of players supplied to the senior team? Is it a regular pipeline to the senior team? Is it selling a player to a big club? How do you define that? Um, 
I think that the most important thing is just how many players that we can progress to Orlando City's first team. That that is the main thing I'd look at. I think anything over and above that becomes a wee bit secondary. Like if players do move on somewhere else, I think the most important thing, how I would define it from my own point of view, is how many players mm-hmm. we can progress from the academy into maybe the OCB and then into the, the MLS team, or even if they can try and take that jump ahead, even miss out the OCB. And I do think some things that should happen and can happen. Um, one of the things I noticed in the MLS is that the, the average age of a young player that maybe makes their debut um, wasn't young enough in my eyes. So that's something I really want to try and work hard on is to try and accelerate the development and trying to accelerate when the, the players actually get a chance. And the only way to do that is creating a link with the, the, the guys who are obviously in charge of OCB and in charge of the first team. Um, but the good thing for me, there's a willingness in the club to do that. The other way you, you look at how do you, you measure success, I'm, I'm very obsessive about the style of play. There's a lot of clubs will put a, kind of a bracket round to they're going to play in a certain way. They're going to play a, a lovely possession-based style and it's going to be attractive to watch and they're going to build out for the back. But when you actually chip away at the words, really that isn't evident. From from one point of view, it will be very much evident that we will be obsessive from the younger teams all the way through up to the 18s and they will play with a brand and a style that will be very much developmental. Yeah, we want them to win if they can, but it's not win at all costs. We're trying to win the style. um, And that is the most important thing. We're not there to just develop teams that are going to win games. We're trying to develop teams that are going to play with real high-level of style um, a real atta- attractive and attacking style as well but within that it's all about the key round uh, areas to try and develop players and then by doing that style I do generally believe we will develop more players Now we've heard a lot about uh, during this uh, this recent Euro 2016 about um, the country of Iceland and, and the high percentage of, of coaches in that country that have a very mm-hmm. high level of coaching certificate is there uh, a requirement of certain type uh, for Orlando City Academy coaches? There is now, um, I think, uh, a positive again. Even though I think the US, it's a developing academy system. It has been a little bit behind, if I'm going to be honest, in comparison to Europe, where, where I've came from. There's been a lot more kind of level of criteria put in place and a stipulation of coaching qualifications. So from one point of view, I've done every coaching qualification I can. And that was the same at the club I worked at before. I was very prominent in pushing the coaches on to the highest level they could do. Because there's not really been that stipulation in the US, some of the coaches don't have the qualifications I think they probably need. But it is something we're developing. And uh, the good thing now, the US Soccer Federation have now put in a a criteria from next season, you must have a minimum B licence. For me, even guys that have got their B licence, I'm pushing them on to do their youth licence or their A licence, because I do think it helps. Looking at the Iceland that I've actually met, Lars Lagerback a couple of times, he was doing um, different presentations on the pro licence that I was that I was involved with. And, and it's an, it's fascinating to see what, what a small country like Iceland have achieved. And it has a lot to do with hard work, a lot to do with putting a structure in place and basically making sure your coaches have a higher level so then they develop the players to a higher level. And I think from a, obviously Orlando isn't, um, isn't a country as such, but the, the same premise is something that we'll certainly be working with within the club to ensure that we try and coach the coaches and get into a much higher level than they're at just now because that in turn then improves the players. Now, what were some of the unique challenges that you faced in getting Orlando City's academy where you wanted to go, or, or what challenges do you still face? <laughs> um, those, those challenges are evolving. Um, any, any academy, I think when you, you look at the numbers that you're working with, and we've got an academy team from next year from 12s into 13s, 14s, 16s, and 18s, 
We've also got the junior academy teams, which is 9s, 10s and 11s. We're also involved with the, the full youth soccer club at Orlando. So when you've got as many people as that, whether it be staff, whether it be uh, players, parents, you're always going to have challenges in there. And I think the, the general challenge for me was to try and just structure it better, try and make it a little bit tighter and try and build an, an easier structure and, and make it just easier to manage, I think, because it was a wee bit um, all over the place, just because there was a lack of staff. Because when obviously people moved on before, the guys that were left there, uh, young lad Sammy Castellanos, who was working with the 16s, 18s, it was just an awful lot of work for, for not enough people, <laughs> if that makes sense. So what the biggest challenge for me was to try and restructure the, the, the staffing and then look to try and bring in more support staff uh, and that's what we've been working on at the moment. And another challenge we had was obviously making hard decisions on players that we felt were to maybe stay within the academy and then players we feel that maybe should maybe move to the side and maybe go and play with a youth club for a, a season just to try and aid their development. So they, they were probably the biggest ones uh, that we've had up to now. And, and going forward at the moment, we're just working very hard and, and just making sure, sure we've got the right facilities for next season before we move to like Nona. And again, just building in the curriculum, building in the philosophy that the coaches can buy into, and then hopefully they can get all the teams playing the same way. What are some of the differences that you found between your your previous experience at St. Mirren Academy and, and Orlando Cities? Differences. Um, it's a different culture, different landscape from the point of view that at the older age levels, the, 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 the sort of landscape in the U.S. is very much that when boys get to 17, 18, they go to college, and they don't really come in full-time to the soccer side of things. In the UK, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the pathways are a little bit different from that. We would usually have boys coming in at 16, 17 full-time and doing education on top of that. And that, that's something that I'm working very hard to try and achieve, that the, the players don't lose out in education, but we need to try and, and accelerate that football education because if you look at the high end, there's a lot of emphasis at the moment why maybe the US aren't producing as many players as they could do. And one of the reasons is that maybe a lot of boys, as opposed to going full-time football or full-time soccer, that they're maybe going full-time education. What Maggio was to try and do is marry that a little bit better together. Not in any way um, affecting their education, still making sure they've got that, because they're all going to need that. It's very important. But trying to make sure there's a football education part put in there more. So at the ages between 18 and 22, that they're in a full-time environment where we know we can accelerate their development towards the first team. So that's probably the main difference I had Regarding the rest of the things, football is football for me. Soccer is soccer, excuse me. Um, and then regarding from a working with parents, working with kids, it's very, very similar. You, you, you do what I have been very impressed about is um, is the way the young American players handle themselves, the the respect levels, the manners. I think I've been I've been excellent. I've been very, very uh, happy how I've managed to get a good relationship with them in, in a, a short piece of time. Um, and their attitude towards what we've been trying to do has been excellent, you know. So, so no, there's been a, obviously some differences, but there's a lot of things that are very similar as well. Now, David, are, as you develop this academy the way you, you'd like it to grow, are there any academies around the world that you have used, like as a model or a template in establishing Orlando City as a premier development system for young players? Um, I, I've been very lucky. I say this to the coaches, I'm, I've been very fortunate. I've been involved in youth football for 20 years, so I've been at a lot of clubs. Um, and all I've tried to do is take the very best practice from each club and then build it into my own philosophy and build it into Landers' own philosophy. Um, I mean, if you look at the, the highest end model, Barcelona, if you look at how they play, how they develop players through it as, a, as an inspiration to myself. And then through, I've, I've, visited, I've visited Inter Milan, I've been to other clubs in Italy, um, Fiorentina. 
I've been to Empoli, uh, and then down in England as well. I've been to Tottenham, I've been to Man City, Man United, and all you do is try and take the best out of them all. I, then I went to also went to Stoke recently, and all you, you do is look at what they have and try and take little bits. Now, sometimes it just reinforces your own opinion. Sometimes there's things you might not totally agree with, but there is also then good practice you take, um, and you try and use that parts of their model to put into your own model. Because um, I think that's the way it is. That, that is coaching, and that is football, is to try and learn and have an open mind about how you can evolve yourself, uh, evolve your, your, your academy, and most importantly, evolve your players. And David, now that you've been involved for some time with the club's academy here in Orlando, can you tell us maybe how far out it'll be before we start maybe seeing some of these potential homegrown players coming straight out of the academy that were fully developed in the Orlando City system? Um, it's, it's hard, again, to put, to put years on it. I mean, any academy, you're, you're looking for a good five years to really cement what you want to happen. However, the good thing for me is in Florida, there is quite a good talent base in Florida, um, and there are some very good players within the academy already. Yet there's still a lot of work and there's a lot of development there. But in the short time that I've been there uh, over the last few months, I've, I've been really impressed with a number of the boys who have really um, bought into what I want them to do. And I've seen a massive development in a short space of time to the point where there was um, this week alone, there was four different under-18 players um, who were in actually training with the OCB. And I think that's very important. The good thing, the club are very keen to get the best ones in and just try and push them that little bit more and get them working with older players and um, obviously maybe better quality players. So for me, there could be ones that could happen earlier. Um, but obviously to really measure it it's going to take a little bit longer it's going to take over a number of years but I generally mm-hmm. do think that there is some talent there already and I do think that that talent I've got I, I generally believe that there's some good staff that are going to work alongside myself that I think we can actually get them through and hopefully in the next few years there will be some high level players can come and play within the MLS with Orlando Now as you look around MLS what which academies sort of are are we chasing? Which are some of the academies that seem to be kind of out there in front of the in front of the pack? It's different. You know, it's, I, I hear different people will maybe mention to me, "Oh, you, you've got like, certain academies that have got a really good reputation." Um, but I'm not that in tune, if that makes sense. I, I've obviously my focus has been solely on Orlando, but right. you have academies that have got good reputations, like Philadelphia Union, uh, FC Dallas, LA Galaxy, are, are ones that have been mentioned to me that have that sort of reputation of being maybe leaders at the moment. I think that the difference they have over ourselves is the fact they've been doing it longer. Um, and they, they've actually already got little residency programs put in place, which is something that we want to try and aspire towards. Um, so th- I think those are the ones at the moment that have got the reputation uh, within the US. And I'm, I'm sure there's other ones as well, but I'm not that in tune um, exactly who the very best ones are. The, the only way you can really judge that down the line is going to be how many players progress. I do know as well, I know maybe not in the US, but they're still part of MLS, the Vancouver Whitecaps, they've got a very, very good programme, um, and they've obviously started to bring players through for the first team. So, so there's good incentives there even for their club, for um, uh, the club to look at and think, you know, there is opportunities if you look at other clubs are doing the same, and then hopefully we can follow suit within that. Now, you mentioned a few of the boys earlier, um, but Orlando City was also recently named one of the initial 25 clubs that will be part of U.S. Soccer's Girls Development Academy. Can you kind of explain what that means for Orlando's academy? I think at the moment, um, I had a conversation. Alan Huff is the, the girls' uh, academy director, um, and they're, they're obviously playing in the ECDNL, um, it's called, which is obviously your recreational side. But what's happening is that they are just going to follow the same pathway 
it's what the boys have done. So there's a development academy for the girls' side as well as the boys, which makes sense when you have a, from the boys' point of view, you've got a, a first-team MLS club. And then obviously the, the ladies have now got the pride team. There needs to be a pathway, I think, there again, that as opposed to going out and, and trying to search for players. The first place you should always look for is the Finneran Academy from the boys' point of view and also from the ladies' point of view. So I say that that's an exciting thing for the club, that that's going to develop a, a, a girls' academy as well as a boys' academy. Uh, David Longwell, I really appreciate you being with us, but uh, before we let you go, I, I definitely wanted to get your opinion on this. One thing that we've heard a lot about, uh, talk about recently is is pay-to-play and, and how there are barriers for some segments of our society that prevent players from maybe having access to yep. the training and coaching that they need to excel. This kind of potentially limits the talent pool, not only locally, but also for the, the national team program for the U.S. How mm-hmm. does one go about establishing an academy system uh, that is not only free of cost for young talent, but also develops that talent from that might be from disparate socioeconomic and cultural backgrounds. I think um, the academy, as of next season, and this is a, a statement of intent from the club, from 12s upwards, they don't pay money. All the kids actually, <coughs> excuse me, get um, get it for free. So I think that in itself is going to open the door that it shouldn't actually restrict any kids, <coughs> excuse me, from actually coming to the club. We've also, as a club, been very um, supportive of if there is players coming from a further distance, can we help them financially? Um, even looking at that there's a possibility that they might come from a poorer background and we might have to put them into host family, another thing we're actually working on just now. Mm-hmm. And even from the youth club point of view, uh, Paul Shaw is the academy uh, boys director with the youth club and Laura Halfpenny is the general manager. And they've got a, a very good programme in place where they've got a, a scholarship fund. So it means that players, parents can actually apply to get the cost for free if they're actually struggling financially. And that's something that's been utilised a lot within that structure. So I think that that's very important that somebody once said to me, whether it's 100% sure or not, that maybe soccer, um, because you pay as you play, it does restrict young players, and I think it has done. But I think the model we have as a club, not just from the academy, but into the youth club is allowing players no matter on their, their background, no matter on their, their, their circumstances, that we can actually give them the opportunity. Because you could lose out on some very, very high-level players um, just because they don't have the money to pay. But the good thing is the academy is free. Um, obviously, it's not free because it costs the club money, but for the players' point of view, it's free for them. And, and that's a massive statement from the club, um, from Flavio and from Phil, about what we're trying to do. And then, obviously, down the road, we want to get rewards for that. We're bringing through players for the first team. That's that's great. That's fascinating stuff, David. Uh, David Longwell, the Academy Director for Orlando City. Uh, thanks so much for being our guest on the Mainland Podcast. Really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to seeing you develop this academy here in our community. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Well, we are just about ready to wrap up episode 57 of the Mainland Podcast. Before we get out of here, we uh, we always want to uh, you know get to the upcoming matches, and, and obviously before we even do that, I'd like to, to thank personally David Longwell for coming on the show and, and telling us all about uh, the Orlando City Academy and the great things that he's building uh, for the future of this club. Uh, it's very exciting stuff, and I have to say that after having talked to him and both Tom, both him and Tom Sermani, I probably couldn't tell them apart if we were on a three-way call. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, anyway, uh Nick, before we get out of here, like I mentioned, uh, key matchups and predictions. First up this week, Wednesday night at Red Bull Arena. The Red Bulls have uh, played well against 
uh, Orlando City this year. Uh, last year, Orlando City uh, largely outplayed the Red Bulls with 10 men in the in the home loss and then destroyed them on the road. This year, uh, an even game here in Orlando and then on the road, uh, the Red Bulls really with a 3-2 victory, and that could have been 8-2 if Joe Bendick hadn't stood on his head. Definitely, yeah. I think some of the people that we really got to watch out for, you know, it's an interesting time for Orlando City with the interim coaches and defense, defense, defense is the is the focus. So mm-hmm. keeping their top score in in Bradley Bradley Wright Phillips quiet and you know someone who has ten assists uh, quiet from the midfield is is going to be a difficult task, but something that I think Orlando City, even with their favored formation, could is certainly capable of doing. What do you see as the key matchup of the game? Like uh, Definitely the, the like, midfield partnership. Whoever we decided to go with, uh, like you said, you were impressed with Harrison Heath um, mm-hmm. in in the last game. I think whether it be him or or Carrasco next to Higita, certainly going to be a, an interesting battle there. So the, the game is usually won or lost in the midfield, and I think that's that's the emphasis here. I, uh, I think that for me, the... I, what I see from Bobby Murphy is, a, is an emphasis on defense and not conceding. I think that that's his. Um, he has more of a, you know, a, a defense first philosophy maybe than Adrian Heath. Mm-hmm. I think they both like to have play attacking and, and attractive football, but I think Adrian starts with attacking the goal, and I think that Bobby Murphy. Uh, you know, we're all experts on him after one game. Uh, <laughs> is uh, he? He seems to be more about like let's shore it up first at the back and then get forward. So I'm I'm thinking that for me, Orlando has gone two goal two games without a goal, and so I think for me the the key matchup is how does how does Kyle Laren handle the two center backs uh, who will undoubtedly be tag teaming him the way that uh, Houston's did on on. Uh, Friday, yeah, I cert- I, I mean that's a big matchup. Yeah, I would I would certainly agree, and and like you said, you know, it, it's that is certainly going to be a key area for Orlando not having scored in in a few games now, and so supporting uh, supporting Kyle up front is going to be key, and going with someone like Saren on the right wing again probably isn't the best idea, but once again, if we're going to be defensively sound, we probably need a little backup, so it's going to be an an interesting thing. I'd like to see mm-hmm. Kyle get a little bit more support, perhaps from from Molino moving a little further ahead into a front two. But mm-hmm. what's your what's your score prediction? My score prediction is gonna be, I'm gonna go positive and say that Orlando City get a one nil win. Wow, nice. Uh, I'm thinking. The Red Bulls are, are are very tough out lately. I'm I'm still not sold that Orlando can score a lot of goals right now. Uh, they're a bit of an offensive slump, and I think that the Red Bulls have a lot of offensive firepower. And uh, I see a two-one New York win um, on Wednesday night. Uh, I hope that's wrong. I hope that Orlando can go up and get a result. Uh, again, and now real quickly, all we have time for is a quick uh, Vancouver. Uh, you're you're matchup and your your result your matchup and your and your prediction keeping pedro morales quiet is going to be essential but i think the focus here is on orlando scoring so i'm going to say however either brexhay or whoever's on the wing is dealing going forward so that's going to be my key matchup okay score prediction score prediction is going to be 
I'm going to say 2-1 Orlando. All right. I will say that the key matchup for Vancouver is the two midfields. I think that the important thing is that Orlando City uh, gets behind the ball and uh, breaks up play moving forward. And so that that central midfield is going to be a very, very uh, key matchup for me. And I I, I like Vancouver to, uh, to score at home. I think that Orlando City can grab one as well. I'm going to predict a 1-1 draw on that one. Okay. So there you have it, episode 57, the Mainland Podcast in the books. Uh, definitely want to thank David Longwell again, the Academy Director for Orlando City, for being our guest this week. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about two matches, the uh, Red Bulls match and obviously the uh, the game at Vancouver. Uh, we'll also have Pride Chicago. We'll have OCB to catch up on as well. And who knows, maybe we'll have a new coach uh, by next week. <laughs> Hope so. so. So I hope you enjoyed your first time here, Nick. I did. I really did. It's been great. <laughs> All right. We enjoyed having you on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good to change up the co-host every once in a while and, and give other guys a shot. So uh, we're glad we could uh, arrange that and get you on this week. Uh, but that's all the time we have. I thank everybody for listening. You can uh, follow us, please, on Twitter. We're at the mainland, M-A-N-E, not M-A-I-N. Uh, you please like us on Facebook and also, uh, you know, check us out at themainland.com. For Nick Morales, I am Michael Citro signing off, saying, "Go City." <laughs>